As always, you can email Lior, Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. And your, uh, your private number is 416-216-5900. And you want to call us any time about Severance. Severance questions, uh, we're here to answer your questions. So we always start off with my friend with the, uh, the week that was. Yes, John, and thank you and welcome uh, to everyone listening today. Uh, I'm happy to be here and be back uh, on the Employment Hour. As always, I'd like to start talking about uh, some of the matters that I dealt with this week because there's something to be learned. There's uh, an interesting story there, and many of the uh, people listening to us right now may find themselves in exactly the same situation. So let me uh, talk to you about a couple of situations. Uh, The first one actually has to do with this concept of constructive dismissal that we've talked about. Now, Mm -hmm. as you know, the the idea of constructive dismissal is when a a significant change happens in the workplace, the employee may not have to accept the change, can leave employment, and still get their severance. Now, usually when we're talking about a constructive dismissal, there's a a big major change that we can point to, you know, a significant reduction in pay, uh, a relocation, exactly, a relocation, a demotion, and, you know, we can see it and, and, and talk about that, and that's a constructive dismissal. But not every situation is that obvious. So in this one case, the one that I resolved this week, uh, it's what I like to refer to as a a death by a thousand paper cuts. And that is uh, what happened here is this person was uh, his workplace undergoing many changes. So over a period of a few months, his job responsibilities changed somewhat, not significantly. His reporting arrangements uh, uh, changed. Uh, the the uh, the nature of his job and his hours changed a bit. So there's a ton of little small changes now. None of these changes on their own, on their own right. would be a constructive dismissal. But you take a, f- a few of these changes, you, you tack them on, it starts to be significant. Now, add to that is the fact that uh, because this person was undergoing different changes all the time, you know, he, he really didn't know if he was coming or going or what was expected of him, it started taking a toll on his health. So after a while, he actually had to go off on, on a medical leave of absence because he was so stressed out with all these things changing around him. And, you know, one day it's white, next day it's black. So, so he's off on disability. And to me, that was absolutely a constructive dismissal. At some point, these changes together amount to a significant departure from the terms of his employment, coupled with the fact that now it impacted his health. Mm-hmm. Well, the result is a constructive dismissal. So even though this is not a situation where there was one major change, there was probably 10 different changes, all of them on their own minor, this was still a constructive dismissal. And especially given the fact that it impacted the guy's health so much, he was allowed to leave and we were able to get him quite significant severance. He was there for about 10 years. So the lesson here, of course, is in in a in situation where the, the things change around you, if you can document that, if you can establish what actually has been changed, uh, and certainly if it impacts you, if there's a good reason why it's now very difficult for you to continue working, you may actually be still in a situation where you can take the position that you've been constructively dismissed. So not, not just uh, for major, major changes, minor changes together can be a constructive dismissal. Could that not be time sensitive, though? You said they, you know, they chip away at it time over time, little change here, little change there. And we've often said, or you've often said that, you know, after a certain amount of time, if you accept these changes... You're, you've accepted them. Absolutely. Change, right? Excellent point. So if a change happens today and then a year, another change, a year after that, another change, you're probably not going to be able to do anything about it. Here, these all happen in a span of, a, of you know, maybe two or three months. Okay. So, so it was really difficult to say, well, now you've accepted this. It was really an ongoing process, but you're absolutely right. And the problem with changes is if something, someone, uh, the employer implements a change, you don't like the change, you don't agree with it, but you start, you continue working anyway you're deemed to have accepted the change. And after doing that for a period of time, a few weeks, couple months maybe, 
you, you're no longer able to do anything okay. about it, you're considered to have accepted. Okay, next. Uh, next situation, uh, actually dealt with uh, an employee that was on a disability leave, which is something we're going to talk a bit more about on the show uh, uh, later today. So he, he was on a disability leave for, uh, for a few months, uh, legitimate reasons, no problem, and then eventually was cleared back to return to work, uh, this individual. So he approached his employer and said, okay, I want to come back to work. His employer invited him to, to meet with him to discuss the return to work. Mm-hmm. In the meeting, essentially, the employer told him verbally, uh, well, here's my concern, employee. My concern is that if you're going to be going off on a disability again, I can't really count on you. I can't really trust you to, to be here doing the work. So I'm not going to take that risk of you having to go off on a disability again. Yep. So, sorry, you can't come back. You don't have a job here. Now, as you know by now, that is completely illegal. That's a violation of the Human Rights Code. Uh, and, and that's an employer is not allowed to not hire someone because they have a medical condition or because they think the employee has a medical condition. Uh, so what I, I did in this case is I, I told the employee, you know what? Wouldn't it be nice to have something like if we actually had that in writing? So the employee, in my advice, wrote to the employer and said, you know, I confirm our discussion from uh, whatever the date was where you told me that because you don't think I'm going to be able to continue working because of my condition, you don't want to take me back. So what does this employer, very brilliant, do? Yes, Responds right. back says, yeah, that, that confirmed, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Don't. Well, that's, a, <laughs> that's what we call in technical terms a human rights violation with a cherry on top. So that was a big problem for the employer. We were able to resolve that today. Uh, so, you know, again, lesson here for employers, clearly. You are not allowed to make a decision in terms of hiring or, uh, or terminating an employee or bringing them back from disability if it's based on their medical condition. If it's a legitimate business decision, uh, that's one thing. But you can't base that on what you perceive they're able or unable to do. If you're not sure they can do something, you get medical documentation to verify you can make that decision Officially on your own. Officially a human rights code violation. On this show, we call it a big bowl of wrong. <laughs> that's right. So, if you're thinking about doing that, name. don't. You got it. Exactly. Uh, we'll take our first break. Give us a call. Ready to talk. Everything to do with Severance and under that umbrella, Lior is here for the hour. Lior at employmenthour.com. Lots more of the Employment Hour coming up. Talk radio, AM 640. You can also go to Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. If you're a wee bit bashful, and Lior's number is 416-216-5900. They always have uh, top priority. Tim in Newmarket. Hi, Tim. How, How are, are you guys? Good, man. Welcome to the show. You got a question? Yeah, I have a basic question about, uh, uh, I guess, employment rights or human rights. Um, a friend of mine works at a small boutique store. And the, the manager now is saying uh, that the schedule is going to change in the future. And going forward, it's going to be uh, my way or the highway. Basically, I'm not going to recognize your, uh, whether your husband or your kid's school schedule is in the way. If you don't follow what we're telling you to do in the schedule, you're going to be out. Yeah, and, Can you know, yeah, Tim, thanks for the question. It's something that's very important. We've talked about it on the show a couple of times. Uh, the, the short answer is no, they cannot do that. An employer does have the legal obligation under our Human Rights Code here in Ontario to recognize and accommodate a person's family obligations. Mm-hmm. So uh, now that said, it is the primary responsibility, the first line of, of defense, if you will, is that of the parent. So they need to see if they can make other arrangements. If it's, if it's possible you know, in, in, on a reasonable basis to make other arrangements for childcare, maybe have a, a friend, a, f- a family member help, fine. If they cannot do that, in other words, the only way to provide proper care for their kids is through the employer accommodating, that the employer has to 
accommodate. And if the employee fails to do that, that's a human rights violation. That could be a constructive dismissal, which means the employee may be still entitled to leave and get compensation. So what I would propose for your friend, if, if, if she or he finds themselves in that situation, have them give me a call. I'll be happy to talk to them more specifically about their matter. All right, thank you. Tim, that number is 416-216-5900. And uh, Frank in Toronto. Hi, Frank. Hi. Hello, this afternoon. Good. What's um, up? Lior, you raised that uh, the point about the constructive uh, dismissal, the, the, the two scenarios that you raised. If there's a situation where you've got an employee, where the employer changes the terms of employment fundamentally in terms of the position, where it can be considered somewhat of a demotion, but the employee that is affected knows that it's very difficult to find an alternative job in the industry because the demand for such job is is uh, very low. Um, would it be appropriate in the circumstances for the employee to stay on board, to, to take the lower-level position uh, as, a, as a duty to mitigate? Uh, because the, 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 the ability to mitigate would be much more difficult given the, um, given the difficulty to find such um, highly technical job in the industry. Yeah, and ultimately, here's what the law says about these things, uh, Frank. And if uh, a change happens, there would otherwise be a constructive dismissal, including a demotion, of course, which would be. The employee has a choice. They can leave and uh, require the the employer to pay them compensation, or they can stay uh, in the position. Now, in making that decision, the the law has changed a bit over the last couple of years, and now the law requires, well, if you decide to leave, that's fine, but it's not automatic. Just because there's a change doesn't automatically allow you to leave. There's got to be a good reason as to why you feel you can't really continue in this position, why doing that is going to be a bad idea. It's going to hurt you. Either it's going to be embarrassing or it's going to be such a drop in in compensation that it just doesn't make sense or it's going to uh, hurt your, your future career prospects. So if you've been demoted, uh, but the, the, the demotion is not so that it's embarrassing or it's going to hurt your future career, you may actually have to stay. Uh, you may not have a choice. On the other hand, if it's a big demotion, it's embarrassing, now it's going to, uh, if you continue, it's going to prevent you from finding proper jobs in the future. The law is going to say, absolutely, you can leave. So every case has to be assessed on its own uh, merits and its own facts. So you mentioned earlier, want to get into this, talking about employees off work because of disability. A uh, common issue in your practice, I would imagine. Uh, typical scenario. Yeah. And it is a very common issue, John. I I probably speak every single day uh, with people that are are, are on disability, have some issues related to that. uh, And so I think it's worthwhile that we discuss it a bit here. So a common scenario really has to do with an employee that, for whatever reason, uh, is off on disability, whether it's a workplace-related incident or completely unrelated car accident, uh, accident in the house, uh, and, and they're not unable to work and, you know, as soon as they're off work, there's problems. Number one is, first of all, how do they get compensated while they're off work? Number two is, what does that mean to their status vis-a-vis their employer? Mm-hmm. Are they still employed? Does the employer have to pay them? What about their benefits? What happens if they want to go back to work? Can they? What if the employer says no? So, so all these issues happen uh, as soon as someone's off on disability. So one of the things we want to talk about today is to try to clarify that and explain for, for employees and employers mm-hmm. what the rights and obligations are as it relates to people on disability. When can an employee go off? Well, generally speaking, an employee can go off work when the medical professional, a doctor, says that they're unable to work. Okay, so it's not an individual decision that you make on your own. Well, I feel that I'm too stressed out to work or my back is so bad that I can't work anymore. If that's the case, you're going to go speak with your doctor. And if the doctor uh, concludes and agrees that you are unable to work, the doctor is going to have to prepare a letter, a certificate, 
that stipulates that. And that's something you take to your employer. And automatically, as soon as you have that, the employer is required to comply and allow you time off work, be it for uh, a week, a month, or, or much longer, depending on your situation. We'll take a short break. Get back into this, just starting off on uh, disability and uh, things under that umbrella. You want to give us a call? I'm sure you do. 416-216-5900 is Lior's direct number. And Anna, hang on, we'll get to you. The Employment Hour continues. Talk Radio, AM640. And Lior's own number is 416-216-5900. Anytime outside of show hours and Lior at employmenthour.com. We're just, uh, we haven't taken this topic uh, too heavily so far. It's good to do it this week, talking about employees uh, off work because of disability. As always, get to the phones. Got Allison in Toronto. Hello, Allison. How are you? Hi. Good. You got a question? Yes. um, I've been off work for three years. I won my LTD appeal lump sum. I also have CPPD. I got an initial severance offer and I I got it raised to a higher amount several months ago, but I didn't accept it. And I just got a letter from my employer um, asking me either to come back with accommodations or accept the severance or else it's frustration of contract. Okay. I'm wondering if I do go back, if I still have that severance offer, if I dip, it doesn't work out, if I can't work. Good, uh, good question. So now, are you otherwise clear to return back to work or is that even an option for you? Um, I don't know. Like, I'm thinking I could try a very minimal amount, like four hours a week. Right. <laughs> four hours. A uh, very, very limited type schedule. So, so this concept of frustration, what that happens when an employee's been off for very long and there's no real prospects of returning. At that point, the employer can effectively say, okay, we're, we're done. And, you know, it's not your fault, our fault. It, it's just something that happened. And you still get severance, but that severance is minimal. Only your entitlements under the Employment Standards Act. Now, if the employer is offering you something more than that, and I don't know what the employer's offered you, more than what's in the Employment Standards Act, it may be something you may want to consider accepting right now because the problem here is uh, if you go back to work and let's, let's say you work a few hours and it doesn't, it doesn't work, you, you go back on disability, but you're not going to get paid any severance at that point. At that point, the employer is probably going to be a year or two away before it can try to, 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 to say frustration of contract. So if, if going back to work, it's actually not going to be something that's going to happen realistically. Why not get paid? Why not get your severance? So I say take the severance uh, or, or maybe it's still something we can negotiate a bit more. Uh, and, and I can certainly help you if you want. Just because they've offered something and they've improved it doesn't mean that's the best you can do, not at all. Uh, and, and that may be the more practical approach unless you think realistically you can go back to work and sustain it long term. Great. Allison, okay. I'm going to give you a number, 416-216-5900. Again, 416-216-5900. You want to give uh, Lior a call possibly uh, after the show or uh, shortly thereafter. Got to tell Robert in Toronto. Hello, Robert. Hi, how are you? Good, man. You got a question? Go for it. All right. Uh, Robert. Hey, Robert, you still there? Robert in a dealership. Out. Oh, sorry. So we missed that whole segment. Robert, say it again. That is an excellent phone. Robert is calling from Jupiter. We'll, uh, we'll put him on hold so we can get a better line on him. So we're talking about uh, disability. Um, Do we mention how long we can be off work, an employee on a disability? And, and, you know, it ties into the call that we just got here. An employee can be off work, first of all, for any length of time, as long as that's what the doctor says. And uh, many people, just like the caller that we had, can be off, off work even for years. Now, what's important to understand that at some point, though, if, if the absence is very long and if it doesn't really seem like they're getting any closer to going back to work, the employer may be able to say, well, wait a second, it's been out too long. The contract of employment has become frustrated. It's not something that we contemplated when we started employing you that you'll be off for that long and effectively end the relationship. What that means is you still get your severance, but much, much less than your full severance. 
But short of that, short of this concept of frustration, there's really no limit as to how long someone could be off work. Uh, and, and certainly you see people being off for months, sometimes years. Yeah. Um, is the employer allowed to ask uh, for medical information from the employee? And, you know, and, and the answer is yes, but you, you have to be, uh, you have to be uh, proper and you have to do it proportionally. And what I mean by that is that if you're asking your employees from a medical record every week to, to justify the, uh, the absence, that's too much. That could all, actually be considered to be harassment. So if an employee has been off for a while, it's okay to ask them every once in a while for an update for something from the doctor telling them that they continue to be off on disability and maybe uh, what the prognosis is. But some employ- employers go overboard, and in doing that, they actually could be considered to harass the employee. May- it could even result in a constructive dismissal. So medical information, good. Uh, going overboard, bad. We've got Joe and Hamilton. Hi, Joe. Welcome to the show. Go ahead. Hi. I'm scrolling in regards to this thing that happened with my wife. Sorry, what was that, Joe? I'm calling about an incident uh, after, uh, after the August long weekend. Okay. Yep. My wife is a cook and she works at this place. And three hours into the ship, the chef, in an angry manner, bumped into her, making remarks and threatening her job and so forth. And she came home crying, and I told her to go back and talk to him about the incident. He told her, you quit, you left, whatever. She's only been there four months. I'm just wondering if there's anything else that can be done in her defense against it. Okay, uh, g- good question, Joe. So first of all, if uh, if she's subject to inappropriate treatment at work, yelling, harassment, bullying, whatever you call it, obviously that's something she does not have to take, does not have to accept. No one should be subject to that. So what does that mean? That means that she's allowed to leave and treat that her employment as being terminated. The concept, again, as we've talked about earlier in the show, is constructive dismissal. So if the work environment's become unbearable, she can leave and require the company to pay her severance. Now, two issues. Issue number one is she would need to establish what actually happened. If someone else says, well, no, no, everything was fine, you just walked in and you said you're leaving, well, you know, we need to be able to establish something to the contrary. Maybe someone saw it, maybe there's something else that we can use to to establish that. So that's issue number one. Uh, issue number two is given the fact that she's there for four months, the amount of severance may not be as significant because she's only there for four months. How much does depend on her actual job and how old she is as well. So we still could potentially still be looking at a couple of months of pay for her. So my advice, again, have her or you give me a call at the office. I'd be happy to talk to you about that. We'll take uh, one more before the break uh, to Robert. Uh, hi, Robert. How are you? Hi, guys. Sorry about that. No worries. Off before. Okay, um, go ahead. So I was working uh, at a dealership for four years in Oshawa. And I was, I was poached by another dealership, and they told me that they wanted to give me a position in, in management. And um, I went there. Two days in, I signed a contract and everything. Two days in, they switched it on me, and they said, oh, well, actually, we're going to make you this position. And, I, and then I, I was like, okay, well, what does that entail? And there was all these verbal promises of, of lots of things. And, uh, and then I, I, they, got, they asked me to sign in that contract after, but... Uh, I kind of felt like I was under duress when I signed it. And then uh, next thing you know, the position just turned out to be totally different from what I what left my other job for. And uh, it, it didn't end up working out, and I had to, to quit because they just they paid me like 
half of what I was making before. I understand. And, you know, there's, there's a number of issues, very interesting and, and, and very important uh, issues that you've raised there. Now, first of all, uh, if the position, in fact, has been changed significantly based on what you've agreed to, based on what you were led to believe, that is absolutely a constructive dismissal. This concept keeps mm-hmm. coming coming up uh, yeah. today. Uh, so, so, which that means that if you leave because of that, as you did, you're entitled to severance. Now, the, the, uh, the other issues here is this. Number one, I want to see what the contract that you signed says, because depending on the contract, potentially it gives them the opportunity or the ability to change the terms of your, or your compensation, the terms of your employment. So I want to see what you actually signed. Okay. Num- number three to understand is, given the fact that they poached you, as you say, you were working somewhere else, I think, for four years, the amount of severance you'd be owed is going to be greater because they recruited you, because they came to you. So you actually may be entitled to, to severance that recognizes your past four years with your former employer. So potentially for you, you're talking about a significant amount of compensation. I'd want to see the contract. I, both contracts that you signed, the most important okay. documents. So uh, my advice, again, very clearly, call me afterwards. I, I want to see those contracts, and I'll be able to tell you exactly what you're owed and how we can go about getting that. Robert, okay. that number, 416-216-5900. We'll take a short break here. The Employment Hour right here on Talk Radio, AM 640. Give us a call here at the uh, radio station while I'm talking to Lior. We have a, uh, a guest with us that we all know very well. That's Lior. right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, I, my, uh, my esteemed uh, partner, Sivan Tumarking, is uh, with us today. And, you know, let me tell you a bit about, about us, just so you understand why I've invited Sivan to join us today. Uh, we're a bit unique in my law firm in that we, we do have the specialty in employment law, of course, which you know, because that's why I'm on the show. But we also practice in the area of personal injury and, and, and disability. And what that means is Sivan and I actually are often uh, required to work together on mm-hmm. matters where I'm sure. representing someone that's, uh, that's disabled and able to work as relates to their dispute with the employer. And Sivan is dealing with their insurance company to make sure that they get compensation. So we're very unique in that respect. Most law firms would do one or the other, employment or disability. We do both. Uh, But a lot of the times, uh, a lot of the questions that I have that people ask me is a question surrounding, well, I'm, I'm on disability right now. I'm not getting income from my employer how do I survive? How do I get uh, yeah, sure. income? How do I make ends meet? So I invited Sivan to talk to, uh, to about that today. So first of all, let me welcome Sivan. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Lior. And a great barbecuer, by the ah, way. Thank I you. Have, what, what, barbecuing what questions. Could, yes, yeah, that's right. One of the best. That's right. If you have any barbecue questions, please call. Start now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so to start off, Sivan, uh, you know, so if someone is on, on disability, they're not able to work. What options do these people have in, in terms of getting compensation? Well, Lear, that's uh, that's an excellent question, and uh, typically I see four scenarios uh, when people come and, uh, uh, you know, they have questions about uh, what can we do when disability. So uh, the first scenario that I see quite often is somebody who's been in a car accident. Uh, People in car accidents a lot of times, uh, you know, within hours start feeling tremendous amount of pain, and they have difficulties uh, either completing the day's work uh, or returning to work the next day uh, or working for weeks and months at a time. And so the question I'm always faced with is what do they do? What can they do uh, to recuperate some of the income that uh, they're losing? Uh, Perhaps they don't have sick days. Perhaps they don't have um, disability, et cetera. So that's one of the scenarios. Uh, The second scenario is uh, non-car accidents. So typically we see slip and fall 
falls, trip and falls. Uh, you know, you're in the department store and you, you trip on a buggy. Something happens. Uh, and as a result of that, you're not able to, uh, to go to work. Again, uh, you know, legitimate cases, back pain, neck pain, uh, maybe you broke something. Again, what do you do? Uh, the money you were counting on and your family was counting on uh, is not coming in. The third scenario is workplace uh, injuries, workplace incidents. And the fourth scenario that I typically see I would say on a weekly basis, uh, our people, uh, like one of our callers uh, just moments ago, uh, who was on disability, uh, shortened disability, long-term disability. And what happens uh, in those situations when, you know, the insurance company that you are counting on uh, to, to pay you income, to, to, to give you some income, to give you some money to live on, uh, is denying your claim or is giving you a hard time about collecting the income that's owed to you under the policy. Uh, so very briefly, let me just outline a few things that people should be, uh, should be looking at. With respect to car accidents, every person in Ontario who drives a vehicle uh, by law has to have uh, car insurance. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, even if you don't have car insurance and you're a passenger, uh, the person that is driving with you will have car insurance or should have car insurance. And so if you're injured in a car accident uh, and, and you have difficulty working, you're injured. The first thing you should be doing is you should be making an accident benefits claim. Uh, accident benefits are exactly what they sound like. They're benefits you're entitled to after an accident. And the number one uh, benefit that people usually go to and they should go to is called an income replacement benefit, which is a benefit to replace your income. So that's the first thing you should be doing. And if you're doing it correctly, if the person who's helping you is doing it correctly, you should be receiving that benefit within days or weeks maximum. That's the quickest. That's the quickest. That's the quickest. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, And that's something, you know, it's amazing to me how many times I see people coming to me uh, months after an accident and uh, they still haven't received that very basic benefit. And again, that's money that should be going to them and their families. Uh, So income replacement benefits, very, very important. Uh, there is another scenario in a car accident context uh, that uh, you know that people should be aware of. If you're not at fault for the accident, then presumably somebody else is at fault. It's not always the case, but most of the time that is the case, and most of the time you know that's the case because you were either rear-ended, there was somebody who made an improper left turn, something happened. Well, if somebody comes to me and I see that the injuries are serious, and by serious I don't mean you know that you're paralyzed. I mean that it's serious enough for you not to be able to go back to work. Uh, then I immediately consider whether or not a claim can be made as against the other driver so that we can engage their insurance company immediately. And the sooner you engage an insurance company, the sooner the process starts going. So those are two avenues in a car accident context. Uh, Let's talk about the other scenario, non-car accidents, where in those situations, and those happen a lot, especially in the winter. Winter time, right? Slip right, and fall. exactly. Yeah. Slip and falls, ice, you know, uh, snow. Uh, you know, you're walking uh, on a, in, in, in a plaza or again in, into, into a store and it's wet, uh, no signs, nothing. And, you know, you injure yourself. What do you do? Again, it's very important to understand that under Ontario law, uh, these, these locations, these places are, um, I was going to say governed by insurance, but they all have insurance. Uh, so, for example, if you are uh, walking to your favorite grocery store in a plaza, uh, that that plaza, the plaza owners will have insurance. Uh, and not only that, but they will have winter maintenance people who will have insurance. So the sooner you engage these entities, the sooner uh, that you let them know about the incident, the sooner their insurance company 
realizes that there's a claim and they start start putting reserves on the side to compensate you when a claim is made. What if it's not a known piece of real estate, i.e. I'm going down the sidewalk, it's city property, and bang, I trip over an uneven piece of sidewalk? That's an excellent question. That's a trip and fall. It happens right. quite often. Uh, and actually, uh, Lior didn't mention that, but uh, it's very important for people to understand that uh, we, we used to, I used to do uh, a lot of insurance work before. I used to work for insurance companies. On the in other fact, side. Yeah, on the other side, exactly. Mm-hmm. In fact, I used to work for municipalities as well. So I would defend a lot of the cities that would get sued for, for exactly that. Uh, you know, so these guys also have insurance. They have a, a, a slightly different type of insurance, mm-hmm. but they have insurance for exactly those situations. It doesn't matter if you're dealing with a TTC, with a sidewalk, whatever you're dealing with, they're going to have insurance. And, uh, you know, the, the, the sooner you engage these entities, you let them know that there was an incident. And, and of course, keep in mind, there are time limitations. So, for, for sure. example, with, with, with the cities, as an example, if you're on a sidewalk, you have to let them know in writing uh, that you suffered injury on one of their sidewalks within 10 days of wow. the incident. Get on it, it. Very, very onerous. Yeah. And the courts have, have held that, you know, it's very difficult to get around that. So extremely important. Uh, very quickly, let's talk about uh, the other scenarios. Workplace injuries, uh, those are covered by... Uh, workers' comp, mm-hmm. WSIB. Typically, you don't need a lawyer. Uh, there's a lot of paralegals and some lawyers that deal with those situations, but you know you can do it yourself. Uh, we, we don't deal with WSIB as much, uh, but you know, typically speaking, th- those are straightforward uh, situations. And as soon as you're injured at work, you know that, and uh, your your employer is gonna is gonna presumably help you make the application to WSIB. We'll take a uh, we'll take a short break. In fact, we got to call Norris. Hang on the line. We'll get to. He's got a WSIB question. So. Good you're here, Savan. We'll take a short break. Lots more of the Employment Hour coming up. Hang on. We'll be right back. Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. And your, uh, your own number is 416-216-5900. we got uh, Savan Tumarkin here from your, uh, your firm talking about uh, all things uh, disability and how it affects, uh, well, how it could affect your life in a major way. First, we'll take that call I promised on hold. Norris, how are you? Pretty good. How are you guys Good. Doing? good. You got a question? Go ahead. Yes, uh, so I've been an employee with a company, a large company, for about ten and a half years now. Uh, the last four years, though, I've been off on WSIB. They've, um, I was doing a job. Uh, I've got permanent restrictions against uh, how to use my uh, one arm, and uh, the company came to me about the four years ago mm-hmm. in around the economic downturn time, and they told me that they were sending me to school because they couldn't accommodate me whatever um so i'm currently still classed as an employee so it's been ten and a half years but i'm just curious i've got a job lined up and upon confirmation of that i'm terminated as an employee and i lose the benefits through the other company i'm just wondering how that's the w four years at wsib would affect my severance payout uh, you can't have uh, severance and WSIB payments for the same period of time. So if the company pays you severance, you're going to get cut off at least for that period of time for WSIB. Now, uh, once the severance money's run out, let's say you get, just as an example, six months severance. Once the severance money's uh, run out, then we'll, the WSIB can still kick in if you still need it. But so the, the, the rule is you can't have severance and WSIB payments for the same period of time. We've got Michael. Hi, Michael. Welcome to the show. Hi, how you doing? Uh, my my question is about long-term disability. A lot of companies have short-term, and it might be, you know, non-related work. Uh, it's not, you know, uh, workers' comp, so you're on uh, short-term disability. Then it can go into long-term. Now, you have a case representative in your long-term, which is different from the short-term. It could be two different insurance companies, but you just go over to it. Now, you can have a case agent phone you and say on the phone, you've been accepted, 
you know, your claim. And then they literally can phone you two days later on the phone, not by any letters or emails, and say, oh, you've been denied. Now, I was wondering, can they do that? And is it true that a doctor can still say you cannot work, but because you're in long term, they can still turn you down your claim? Savannah, I'll throw this one to you, Savannah. Absolutely. Michael, that's an excellent question. In fact, I see this quite often. Um, first of all, uh, sometimes you may have shortened disability and sometimes you may have long-term disability and sometimes you may have both. Uh, there are a variety of permutations on how, how that uh, can happen. Uh, in terms of having different adjusters, 100%, that's, that's correct. You can have different people who are dealing with it. In fact, sometimes the employer is the one who's going to pay you shortened disability and then it kicks into an insurance company. Uh, now, you know, to your question about a medical note, that's, uh, th- that's a perfect question because that's something that I get all the time. Uh, it's, it's fascinating to me how insurance companies, uh, they, they request and request and request information and documentation endlessly. Uh, and then they seem to just, you know, completely ignore everything they're seeing. Uh, and, and, you know, the reality is this. If your family doctor or specialist is saying that you're unable to work and they explain why, there's absolutely no reason why the insurance company is taking an adverse position. Uh, they they sometimes uh, may, may go to their own doctors and they may try and get their own doctor's opinions. But at the end of the day, your doctor knows you, your specialists know you, and those are the ones that the insurance company should be listening to. Keep in mind something uh, that's really important. Most people, when they um, you know when they engage insurance, whether it's LTD or car insurance or anything like that, they assume that they have peace of mind. They assume that the insurance is there to protect them. Unfortunately, that's not the reality. The reality is that insurance companies are there to make money. And the way they make money is to pay you as little as possible. Now, I'm not saying that the adjusters that are handling your claim are are somehow bad people. They're not. But their mandate is to pay you as little as possible. And there are different tactics to do that. Sometimes they'll tell you that, you know, they don't understand that note from your doctor. They need clarification. Uh, They need you to resubmit certain documentation. Uh, they, They sometimes will approve your claim. And then other times they will, uh, uh, you know, approve it only to question it based on the exact same medical documentation a few months later. Uh, so, so there is really no rhyme or reason. And I'll tell you this, I've handled a lot of those. And, you know, my team has handled a lot of those kinds of cases. These claims are extremely simple to resolve. And they're extremely simple to resolve because all it takes is for the insurance company to realize that there is an insurance lawyer on the other side who understands the way the game is played. And once they have that, once they see that, they change their tune. And when they don't change their tune, then the law makes them change their tune. It's really that simple. Ron, how are you? Good. How are you guys? Good. Uh, you got a question. Go ahead. Yes, it's about the severance calculator. I'm just wondering, um, the data that or the answer that comes out, is that, how is that? Is that accepted in general by the industry and companies? And I mean, it's different to what the minimum government standard is. Oh, yeah. For. Yeah. So th- let me explain, Ron. Excellent, excellent question. And I love this question. First of all, the minimum standard is exactly that, is a minimum. And every single employee has significantly greater entitlements than those minimums uh, in, in every case, unless they signed a contract that says otherwise. So what the severance calculator does, it calculates your full entitlements. And your full entitlements are based on what courts have said over the past 100 years that a person in that situation is entitled to, what a person with that length of employment at that age and in that position is entitled to. 
failed. So that's what that calculator does. So yes, those numbers, the, the, the figures that you get in the severance calculator are not controversial. It's not well, what I think you should be getting. What I think, frankly, is irrelevant. It's what the law says you should have that is the, is the relevant thing. So that's what it, it does. It calculates your full legal entitlements within a range. Uh, and, and that's the only way, other than calling me and asking me the question, and I'll answer it to you, the only way you can get it on your own, severance, uh, uh, severance pay calculator. It's the way to go, severancepaycalculator.com, Android, iPhone. iPhone, there. all there, or on the web. Don't be shocked by the number. It's correct. Lots more of the Employment Hour coming up right here on Talk Radio AM 640. And outside of show hours, you want to get a hold of Lior, very simple, Lior at employmenthour.com through email and 416-216-5900. Michael in Toronto. Hi, Michael. Welcome to the show. Hi, Michael. And by the way, John, on that yes. note, to get a hold of Sivan, again, same yes. number, you're going to call the same number uh, to get a hold of Sivan. A lot of people have questions, and then uh, Sivan can always answer them. Yeah, we were talking about uh, disability just before we get back to the phone calls and, and figure that out. Uh, can an employee be penalized or terminated because they are often disability? A lot of people are scared by that. A right? lot of people are scared, and that's probably yeah. one of the top questions that I get. Can my employer penalize me? The answer is no. Absolutely not. Uh, if the doctor is uh, telling you and your employer you cannot work, you cannot be penalized if you are. That is a human rights violation. Translation, it's illegal. So you cannot be penalized. You cannot be terminated. And if you are, it's a big problem and your employer is going to be liable to pay damages. So, so you have that protection that your job has to be there for you uh, w- when you're coming back. You cannot be penalized. You cannot be deducted pay when you come back. So, so have that security. The law provides uh, for that protection. Let's see if Mike's here. Hi, Michael. Hey, sorry about All that. All right, there he is. Yeah, yeah so I had a question. Um, I did. I was a co-op at a company from about 2008 to 2009, and then I went back to school and I worked part-time, and then I was out for a full-time position until for about three years. Yeah. I was wondering, how does that affect severance? Does the co-op and part-time count or just the full-time? No, it, it does count. It does count, even though it was on a co-op basis. Uh, because you were, you were hired back full-time in recognition of that service, it's because they knew you, because that you've worked there before that they hired you. The law would consider all that period of employment uh, when it calculates severance. So uh, on that basis, if your employment comes to an end, we're going to look at your entire history and on that basis, we will assess what you're owed. Because he has some history with the company? Exactly, because he yeah. has some history with the company. Could that make a vast difference uh, to what he gets? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And oftentimes we see people with, they have some gaps in their employment for, for whatever reason. And the law generally would overlook certain gaps, especially if, you know, if they're not overly long when we consider the full length of employment. So if you've been there for 10 years, but you're off for a year, the, uh, usually the law would say, well, fine, we can look at a 10-year employment relationship because that year really is not that significant. If you've been there for two years and you're off for a year, different story. John, how are you? Got a question for the uh, for Lior? Go ahead. Yes. Hi, guys. Hi, Savannah. Hi, Lior. How are you today? Good, man. Perfect. Good. Um, I'm a freelance worker, and uh, I've been uh, paying into a policy for over 27 years, and now I want, I'm want. i trying to make a disability claim. I have a unique policy that allows partial disability and full disability, so I'm trying to go after partial disability. I've supplied all the documents to the insurance company, and they keep stonewalling me. They say we need more financial records back to 2009. I've supplied all the records. They uh, had some of a specialist call me from their office asking if I received rehabilitation and stuff, and I've supplied medical documents, and they just keep slowing and slowing the process down. And they're focusing only on my financial aspects. They're hardly asking me anything at all about my real health issues. 
wondering, Leo, what you can recommend. Well, John, uh, this is Ivan. Let me let me um, uh, tell you this. First of all, the fact that they are focusing on the financial aspect is not surprising to me because that's what's important to them. <laughs> I don't know what the type of disability you have, but presumably the financial aspects that they're looking into will dictate how much they're going to have to pay you, and they're concerned about that. Uh, now, different policies have different provisions. I'd have to actually see the policy to assess it. I can tell you this. Uh, if you were to contact me after the show, and uh, John's going to give you the number, uh, that's, I, I'll simply take a look at it, and within minutes I'll tell you exactly what your options are. Again, not very difficult to resolve. Um, l- let me just ask you one question, though. Um, when did you make the claim? Oh, we lost him. Oh, yeah, we lost him. So anyway, he, okay, he should that's give you fine. A call anyway, yeah, right? give me a call. Absolutely, yeah. that's something that I can definitely help you with. Yeah. It's not going to be difficult to resolve, and what you're experiencing is something that I see on a daily basis. The number four one six two one six fifty nine hundred. Sandra in Oakville, you get the last call of the day. What's up? Hi, I'm actually calling for my husband. He works for this company. He's from a local union, but he works for this company for high rises. Um, he worked for the, about a year or so, and then he got, uh, he got sick, and he was off for a period of six months. When he went back to the doctor, the doctor said, okay, you're back to work. You need to go back to work. He called the company, and the company said, well, you've been laid off, so you can't come back. Okay, so Sandra, uh, the answer to your question is going to depend on the terms of the collective agreement between the parties. And and obviously I haven't seen it, so I can't comment. What I can tell you is that in a dispute like that, the only one that's allowed or that's able to help your husband is the union. No one else has a right to deal with your husband's uh, employer other than the union. So the first call that needs to be made is to the union. And even in a situation where the union is not too keen or, or, or says that they cannot help, there's still no one else that has that power. So you have to work with your union. But the answer to the question is going to be somewhere in that collective agreement between your husband and the union. Tell us one more time before we go in about 30 seconds. Severance pay calculator. Get on it. Again, you lose your job. You need to know how much severance you're owed. It's not obvious. You don't know unless you're you're an employment lawyer yourself. So we've created the severance pay calculator. Severancepaycalculator.com. It's great. It takes... 20 seconds, you answer how long you work, how old you are, the type of job, and it tells you how much severance you're owed. So now when you're looking at that severance paper, you can assess it. You can determine if it's appropriate or not, and you give me a call, and we we can talk about it. And it also has a nice feature that once you get your result, if you want, you press that little green button, and it automatically emails me with the results so that I know what you're looking at and what your questions are. So, again, severancepaycalculator.com. Check it out right now or download the app on uh, iPad, iPhone, or on an Android phone. Uh, it's a great tool, and go ahead and use it. Give it a shot. 416-216-5900. Now the show is over, and Leor at employmenthour.com. want to thank Savant Tamorkin for coming here as well. He'll be back for sure. Another edition of the Employment Hour right here on Talk Radio AM 640.